edition of the Sports Plus Rewind podcast. We have a pretty special one today. Harry Carey, former Cardinals and Cubs broadcaster. Appropriate we're doing this right now in the middle of a Cardinals-Cubs series here in July. I'm here with the host of Sports Plus, Mike Bush, and I'm excited about this one. I know you probably are too. Harry Carey's just, he's one of those names that's just elevated just on a different yeah. level in terms of just sports in general, not just announcers. Right, and if you think about it, um, he was as big a star or bigger than the players on the field yeah. because he had such a huge personality. And, I mean, there's a statue outside Wrigley Field of Harry Carey. Um, and, of course, he started his baseball broadcasting career here in St. Louis. Uh, he was a huge star in this town before he ever got to Chicago. He did the White Sox games before he got there. And so when we got him on the Sports Plus couch back in 1993, it was a big thrill for me because, you know, I was that kid at five years old who used to turn down the sound to baseball games and announce into my little tape recorder. I mean, I wanted to be a sports <laughs> broadcaster. And the thing back then about Cubs games, because I grew up in Chicago, the thing about uh, the Cubs games is, uh, in, in the 1960s, when I was growing up, early 1960s, mid-1960s, the Cubs were not good at all. And so you watch the games. For me, I watch the games not necessarily because of the games, but I loved listening to the announcers. Um, you know, And Harry Carey, like I say, he was probably the biggest star of any baseball announcer in the country and and. You know, you can debate whether or not uh, you liked him as a broadcaster, uh, but uh, millions and millions of people did. And obviously, you know, Will Ferrell went on to do a Harry Carey imitation. And I mean, this guy was was huge, larger than life. And so to to have him on the Sports Plus couch back in 1993 was a big thrill. All right, so let's get to it. This is Mike Bush on the Sports Plus couch with Harry Carey in 1993. And welcome back to Sports Plus. Sometimes the word legend is overused thrown around so much it's become a cliche. But tonight we genuinely use the word and not the cliche. We are joined now on Sports Plus by the legendary baseball broadcaster, Harry Carey. And I need to, I got a <laughs> question now. What's legend? What's legend, Carey? That sounds to me like I might be dead. No, 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 no. Still You're very much alive. still going strong and a legend in this town and, of course, in Chicago. And I would like to begin at the beginning because you're a St. Louis I was born and raised here. And uh, uh, I worked for the Cardinals 25 years. Then uh, I didn't jump. I was pushed. <laughs> I found myself in Oakland for a year working for Charlie Finley. That's part of the course, although, although he was a wonderful man to me. Then I went into Chicago. I worked uh, 11 years with the White Sox. I'm my 12th year with the Cubs. I lived there the last 24 years. And it's always a pleasure to have a reason to come back to St. Louis. Let's talk about the beginning and, and your Cardinal roots. What, do you remember becoming a Cardinal fan, and then when did that lead to broadcasting? Well, I think everybody who was ever born and raised in St. Louis became a Cardinal fan. Uh, the Browns were here then, too, and they have that true minority core of 3,500 people every, every game, you know. But uh, truly it was a, uh, a St. Louis Cardinal uh, town because uh, for the same reason that Chicago is a Cub town because all the big names that the youngsters are have been associated with all were either Cardinals when I was growing up or Cubs now. 
with the in the case of the Cubs, it's because of day baseball. These little kids go to the ballpark, they get out, they're back home by 5.30 or quarter to six. You can imagine the excitement, and they talk for an hour or two to their parents. Well, other, other than going to a game, uh, I, I doubt many youngsters have much conversation with their parents anymore. But when you've been at Wrigley Field, you have so much to talk about, especially at that impressionable age. And so then when you grow up and you have children, the same thing happens. Generation after generation after generation. The Cubs have had built in naturally a, a marketing plan that the other clubs now are spending millions of dollars trying to develop. And all this is because of Mr. Rigby, who originally owned the ball club. I don't know whether it was luck or whether he, he being a, a heavy guy in advertising chewing gum, maybe he's the first guy to really see the light. That if you gave the people something to watch every day, they'd eventually become a true fan. And that's the story we're going to draw. In Chicago, we're going to draw almost 3 million people for the ballpark that only seats 36,000. And, that and that's with a team that hasn't won a pennant since 1945, which is really saying something about the Chicago fans. Can you imagine that? And that's the first year I started doing the uh, Browns and the Cardinals. In those days, in the two-team sitting, you couldn't do the road game of, the, of one of the teams. You had to do the home game of the other team. And uh, uh, 1945, it's a, it shocks you to figure that not once since then have, has a traditional team like the Chicago Cubs been in the World Series, yeah. let alone lose it, even been in it. Yeah. We won two division titles, 84 and 89, as we're eliminated in the playoffs. So you would think the law of averages would take care of you because expansion teams, teams that move from one town to another, have been in World Series. But the Cubs haven't. So you can imagine when the first time comes, and Lord, I, Lord, please let me be around when it happens and what it's going to be. It'll be something that's never been experienced before because Chicago is a tremendous city, a tremendous sports city. It's a Tremendous city for people. People in Chicago go out every night. They spend their money to eat and drink every night. They don't wait just for Friday and Saturday. It's a fun town, a great sports town. As you look past, uh, in the past, would you say Musial was the greatest player you ever saw? Well, you know, I've said this forever. I've said it when I, when I first started broadcasting Cardinal games because and not that he was any particularly close pal of mine, but he's a real gentleman, a real leader. Uh, he led by example. He, he wasn't one of these guys that the press always picks out to be a leader of ball club because they yell the loudest, and they, you can hear him in the stand. That doesn't mean he's a leader. A leader is a guy like Musial that goes up there and shows his teammates what they should do to win the ball game, and he was tremendous. And as a matter of fact, what is it, 25 years since his career is over, he's still as fine a man and as great a, uh, a civic man for the community as anybody could possibly want. He's just a heck of a guy. And I've seen them all. I've seen Ted Williams and I've seen uh, uh, Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, Henry Aaron, Willie Mays, all of them, uh, uh, all fine ball players. But I know you're going to get around to this, and I just want to tell you, I've broadcast a lot of exciting games. I've met all these ballplayers. I've talked about them. I've known them. I've 
been friends with him. But my thrill was when I was in Cooperstown, and I stood up there and I realized that I not only was getting an award there, it's worth some other, uh, many more prominent people than me, the sudden realization that I was one of three generations, three generations all doing Major League Baseball at the same time. My son Skip, who is a great announcer in Atlanta, his son, who's my grandson Chip, who does the Orlando Magic basketball, did the Braves, and now is doing the Seattle Mariners television baseball. And that realization, is, uh, it never has been done before and it probably will never be done again. And probably the only reason it happened to me is that I was smart enough to get married the first time when I was only eight years old. <laughs> but your enthusiasm about your job not only affected your family and Skip and Chip to get them interested in the business, but also affected so many people, particularly who picked up the Cardinal Broadcasting Network. And a couple of weeks ago, Musial, Stan Musial was at the White House talking to Bill Clinton, and the president was talking about the days he used to listen to you. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you know, that's a funny thing, because I was Monday night, I was at the, uh, they have a uh, Voices of, uh, of Baseball. Kurt Smith wrote a book. Right. And uh, uh, they have all, Jack Buck's going to be there in a couple weeks. Uh, Bob Cuss is there next Monday night. Uh, Mel Allen's been there, Ernie Harwell. And last Monday night was my turn. And one of the things that Kurt Smith did, who moderated the program, and they had about a thousand people, and we all had a wonderful time, but he read the letter from uh, Bill Clinton addressed to me. And he read the letter. And uh, that meant that I had a letter from Harry Truman, Dwight Eisenhower, uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, George Bush, Richard Nixon, I didn't get one from Jack Kennedy, but I did get one from Bobby Kennedy, who probably would have been president sure. had he not been, uh, been killed. I want to talk about the near-fatal car accident you had in, in St. Louis. Not so much the car accident, but what you did on opening day the next year. People didn't even know if you'd be back, and there you were. Well, I, uh, I've been, uh, naturally I was on crutches, <clears throat> but I have thrown away, and then on canes, and... Uh, uh, for maybe a week or so. And then opening night, I, I you know, being a little ham <laughs> in me, I start walking out uh, with the two canes. I got halfway to the microphone. I throw one cane away. Everybody applauds. I get nearer to the microphone. Everybody's yelling, throw the other one away. I throw the other one away, <laughs> and I get to the microphone. And uh, but, but the fatal accident, uh, I don't think too much about that. When I really uh, chipped, uh, uh, chipped my life out of, almost out of it, uh, which really, uh, I came close to dying, when I got a stroke, I was playing Jim Rummy at the country club in Palm Springs, and suddenly I couldn't hold my cars. I was sweating, perspiring, threw a little water on my face, came back, and one uh, of the one of the fellows was uh, astute enough to know something was wrong. He had called a 9-11 number, and the next thing you know, I'm in the hospital, the uh, Bezel Hospital. And uh, all of a sudden, I realize I can't move my right leg, can't move, move my right hand, and I think I'm talking, I'm talking incoherently. And this is Thursday, and I went in on Friday night. And uh, uh, that's how long I've been in a coma. And, of course, I... You can imagine my state of despondency. And uh, 
I was sure my life was over. As a matter of fact, I wanted to die if I couldn't resume my life anyway. So my wife began to bring in, Dutchie began, began to bring in these boxes of mail. We stopped counting at 175,000, and we had just scratched the surface. And I don't know, uh, medically probably doctors will tell you that I had nothing to do with it. But to me, the encouragement I got from these letters all over the country, places I never thought anybody even heard of me, but they were watching TV. And before TV, you know, when I first started, and uh, when we did our broadcast on KMOX, uh, there was no television. There was no team in Atlanta, no teams in Texas, no teams in California. And KMOX had 187 radio stations on the network. And so they heard me all over the country. So when I started doing uh, a television for WGN, uh, my name wasn't a stranger to people because they'd been hearing me for a long time. And that probably had a lot to do with it. But that, the encouragement I got from re reading these letters made me in my heart want to recover, want to get back. And do you know that in almost 50 years now, those are the only games I miss. From April to the end of May, that's the only time I missed the, uh, an inning that I was supposed to do. So uh, the longevity probably is the greatest talent I've had. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, you talk about, you, we talked about legend at the beginning of this interview. I mean. As a broadcaster, you are so beloved in this country, and, and, and let's go, let's talk about that, and, and do you think the style that you have, being, being an announcer, you always said you're at a fan doing a game. Do you think the style has a lot to do with, with why you're so popular? Well, I don't think there's any doubt about that, I, but I started that style from the day I first do, doing a game, uh, because as a fan, you know, well, when the main slugger on the team strikes out with the bases loaded, when a fly ball would have, would have won the game, it's got to show in your voice. If you're a fan, I am. I've never gone to the ballpark with the idea of criticizing anybody. I want everybody on the team that I'm broadcasting for to get three hits, and I want the pitcher to pitch a no-hit game or at least a shutout. But wishing doesn't make it so. If he strikes out, if he makes the air, and even airs. I don't call the airs. The score calls them in there. But when a ball should be caught, the people know I think it should be caught. And especially now, in this age of television, how are you going to fool people and tell them how, what a great star a guy is that just struck out for the fourth time in a row with men on base and you lost by a run? You can't fool people. And uh, uh, actually, I think, and I like, uh, baseball is a radio announcer's game where the, the announcer, through his own vocabulary, his own use of it, his own uh, emotion, uh, makes the fan either excited or not excited, makes, makes him feel something special. Whereas television, heck, you can see what's happening. And, uh, and I, I honestly believe uh, everybody on television talks too much. My idea of the only guy who ever had a television style was a guy named Ray Scott who did professional football for the Green Bay Packers. Sure. He always used about one or two words. Star is back, Harning running to the right, Taylor carries the ball, touchdown. And every guy came in the picture just to mention a name. None, but everybody, 
listen to the broadcast today. The, the football broadcast, the basketball broadcast. You're watching, you hear nothing but talk. The picture tells you, tells you the whole thing, and especially in baseball. It's, a, it's tough to develop a style in baseball as, as it should be, because if you don't talk enough, they think you're dead. They think there's no excitement in you. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Nobody ever accused me of not adding to the excitement <laughs> of any of them. Do you think more broadcasters should act as fans? A lot, of, a lot of broadcasters now are called technical announcers. They do a lot of statistics. Do you think they should be more emotional? Well, you're, you're talking about my, my pet peeve. Whoever thought, you know, the ball clubs give you 10 pages of statistics. Now, you know very well, they're not going to give you a negative statistic. So everything that you are armed with is supposed to be favorable to the team. People are watching. I don't want to misrepresent myself, my credibility, the credibility of the, of the program or the station. I like to talk about what I think the fans are interested in. You know, I, I make a, a big issue out of the fact I like to go to bars and restaurants and so forth. That's how I got the idea of opening my own restaurant now. I got two of them, and it's great. I make a lot of money, probably even as much as I make out of broadcasting. But the, uh, the point of it is, I like to go to bars, not to drink, but I meet people there. And when I meet people, they're the people who listen and watch. And I want to talk to them. I want to get what they're thinking about. I want to know how their mind runs. And everybody says when, when I'm quoted about I like to go to bars, the writer doesn't add what I've already told them about why I go there. Mm. And, and that gives you an idea of some of the kinds of sports writing. 24 years now in Chicago. But how tough is it? How tough was it leaving the Cardinals? You can imagine what a thrill it was for me yeah. under my circumstances, my humble origin, uh, to be doing the St. Louis Cardinals all, this, all these years and to be a name that everybody knows and knew. And uh, then here I am, I'm not going to be there anymore. And I did the most stupid thing I ever did in my life. I bought about $5,000 worth of stock when I was working for the brewery, and I bought it at the same price that you would buy it. But, you know, this was 40 years ago, uh, or, or almost 40 years ago. And that stock doubled and redoubled and tripled and tripled, and, and stock dividends, yeah, yeah, yeah. And listen, Anheuser-Busch made me a rich man, and I should have thought of that. But in a fit of petulance, of hurt, uh, I had Otis, the bartender, Bush's girl, no relation to Anheuser Bush, go across the street and buy a six-pack of Schlitz because it was a competitor, and I know that would burn them up if I, they saw me drinking a can of Schlitz. That was the only can of Schlitz I ever had in my life. I've never had another one since. No matter who my beer sponsor was, and I've had a lot of them in Chicago, in my refrigerator at home was Budweiser. And uh, uh, I, I, I just had to get that out. I've never been so ashamed as, as I am every time I think of that. 50 years next year in baseball. How much longer are you going to continue? If I feel as good next year, God willing, if I feel as good as I do right now, I'm going to try for that second 50. I think that'd be <laughs> funny. Harry, thank you very much. Thank it's you been very a pleasure. Much.
So just a couple, like not even a minute into this, he hits with maybe like the best quote of the time. You call him legendary yeah. off the t- top, and he interrupts you. And he goes, "Legendary, you're making it sound like I'm dead already." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was part of his charm, the whole eccentricity of him, and just—I mean—he talks like you'd talk to somebody on the street. Well, and that's uh, that's kind of was his charm is that he was kind of a fan in the booth. He tried to broadcast a game uh, from the fans' point of view, and so you know if someone would pop out with the bases loaded and a chance for the team to take the lead. Ah, you just heard it in his voice how upset he was. Um, and I think a lot of fans really appreciated that. Uh, as we said going in to the interview, Harry was as big a star uh, as a broadcaster as, as any player was on the field. He said in your interview from 1993, nobody ever needed any more excitement when he was doing a game. He brought enough excitement for everything, and you you really didn't have to set him up very much in this interview. It was about no. three words, boom, there he goes yeah. for a couple minutes. Which was great. You know, that's great for someone who's doing an interview because you want him to tell stories. But think about it. That's that's what he did for all those years in, in the broadcast booth is he told stories. You know, some of my favorite Harry Carey moments were not even game moments. If there was a rain delay, it was fabulous to listen to him uh, tell stories about Stan Musial and the like. Yeah. It was just great. And so um, it, it it really, it, you know, like I said before, it, it was just a thrill to sit down with He t- tells a lot of good stories over the course of this interview, one of them being when he came back from uh, that car crash in, I guess it was, was it 68? And yeah. then he came back opening day 69, came out on the field with two crutches and just playing to the fans, he threw them both away, and the crowd went wild. Yeah, so that's <laughs> that's the showman in, in Harry. He knows how, how to play a moment uh, better than anybody. Um, and, and, you know, you have to think, he, he endeared himself uh, to St. Louis Cardinals fans. He endeared himself to Chicago White Sox fans. He endeared himself, of course, to Cubs fans. And because WGN, in, in when Harry was doing those games, was – was a superstation yeah. before there was, you know, baseball games on every night on every channel. Um, uh, you know, he he was he was loved all over the country because of that. Let me ask you first before we get too deep here. Do you remember how you got him on the show for that particular interview? I should ask you this before yeah. we get you on here. You know what? I I mean, I don't actually remember yeah. how we got him, but I, I I what I do remember is that we had tried several times before. Because the way we set up Sports Plus was, you know, anybody could interview Harry Carey at the ballpark. Mm-hmm. But I always thought that if you could get them in the studio and they're kind of out of their environment a little bit more and you'll give our show a little gravitas, um, we just needed Harry to walk the two blocks yeah. <laughs> uh, from, from Bush Stadium at the time, Bush Stadium 2, to, to come over here. So, um it was, you know, it, I, I don't remember exactly how we got him yeah. that one time, but I do remember we didn't have success on several other occasions when we tried to get yeah. him to the couch. So he's most associated with the Cubs, like we've talked about. Uh, but he started here. He's born here. He's from yeah. St. Louis. Right. How do you think things would have been different if he maybe would have been a Cardinals broadcaster his entire career? Well, here's the thing. Think about this. Uh, at, at one time, there was Jack Buck. Harry Carey and Joe Gargiola that's in the booth. I mean, that's three <laughs> Hall of Famers right there. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I think this worked out for the best, quite honestly. I, I think St. Louis loved Harry Carey. They absolutely did. But we also loved Jack Buck, 
Uh, and and Harry went on to Chicago, and I think that worked out really well for everybody. Uh, and we were very happy to have Jack Buck here. Oh, yeah. And, and coming up on an upcoming Sports Plus Rewind, we'll have an interview that we did with Jack Buck. That should um, be good. That, 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 for me, was always a huge thrill to sit down with Jack Buck um, anytime I got the chance because he was always so generous to me. Um, I, I'll tell you a quick story. Well, no, I'm going to save the story okay. to when we do him. <laughs> That's because, a good tease. Because, because he, 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 he uh, affected my life in, a, in, a, in a, a very big way. So I want to tell you about that later. So, Harry Carey, we were just talking with uh, sports producer Annie Muller, who helped produce Sports Plus back in the day. One of the stories Harry tells at the end of your guys' interview in 1993 is the interview about the interview he did with Ron Jacober after the Cardinals had fired him. When Ron was working for Channel Yeah, 5. when Ron was here, and they tracked him down to a bar and did an interview, and he's holding a Schlitz can. Right. And Harry goes, it's the only time I've ever drank a can of Schlitz in my life, and every time I think about it, I regret it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Harry was, if you remember, he was very bitter. He had been fired by the Cardinals. Um, and so uh, Ron Jacober hunted him down at Bush's Grove and – Got the interview with him, and during the interview, he was holding that that can of Schlitz. But as you heard in our interview with Harry, he he, he, he I'm not sure how many regrets he actually had in yeah. his life, but he kind of regretted that. He did. Um, he also talked about you guys talked about Cubs baseball a little bit, and how even when the Cubs were really bad, pretty much well, really the entire time he was there for pretty him, much. except a couple years here and well, there. Well, in '84, in '89, '84, uh, they they were up two games to nothing on the Padres. Ball and went through. Yeah. Uh, oh, who Leon was that? Durham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, they had a they had a chance to go to the World Series uh, under Harry's watch, and then in '89 they also were a playoff team, but um, not too many good teams. No, but he talked about you could just see his face light up when he talked about oh when it finally happens, I hope I'm still here. And when it happened in 2016, he was the guy. A lot of people just talk. I mean, there were so many memories that came out of a hundred years of. Not winning a World Series, sure. but Harry was right at the top of everybody mentioning, oh, man, if he was here and people he were putting stuff it. on his grave and stuff like that. What yeah. do you think? Uh, how do you think he would have reacted? Oh, I to think that? he would have been thrilled. Can you imagine if he had been in the booth oh, when man. they won the World Series? <laughs> he would have gone absolutely crazy. Um, you know, you think about him or Ernie Banks or a lot of these guys who went through all those years of, of losing uh, and, and getting to see the Cubs finally win the World Series. But Harry... Yeah, was not around, unfortunately. So you talked about this a little bit at the beginning. Growing up in Chicago, you're sitting on the couch interviewing Harry Carey. Yeah. Just how surreal was that? So just so you know, when I was growing up, I'm old. When I was growing up, Harry Carey was in St. Louis. Yeah. So I did know of him because I kind of got to – I would take my uh, transistor radio uh, and my dad and mom would make me go to bed. I would put it underneath my pillow and I would go around. I remember listening to Jim Hunter's perfect game uh, from the Oakland A's in 1968 uh, on my transistor radio. Somehow it picked up the the Oakland A's game. Um, and I would listen to Harry Carey all, all the time and Jack Buck. And um, But the, the broadcaster for the Cubs when I was growing up was a guy named Jack Brickhouse. And when I was in high school, I did get to interview him uh, for my high school radio station. And that was uh, that was off the charts surreal for me. So you kind of pull, you pulled a reverse. Let's get into it here. You've told this story before, at least to me and some other people I've heard. You pulled a reverse Harry Carey. Harry went from the Cardinals to the Cubs. <laughs> you went from the Cubs to the Cardinals. Yeah. How exactly did that happen? 
Well, you know, it's a weird thing because I did grow up, and people say, you're a Cubs fan, you're a Cubs fan. <laughs> I did grow up a Cubs fan, and the Cubs teams of my youth are still, you know, that those are my teams in my heart. But I, you know, I've been in St. Louis for 35 years, uh, almost 35 years, and somewhere, and I, and I was a diehard Cubs fan. I mean, I hated the Cardinals, you know. I was a diehard Cubs fan. But who was your least at, favorite Cardinals player growing uh, up? Uh, hmm. I don't know that I had a least favorite yeah. Cardinal player. Um, but I, I, I used to love when Fergie Jenkins would face off, off against Bob Gibson, and if somehow the the Cubs could could yeah. uh, get a victory, which I'm not sure that happened very often. But um, but I, you know, I I. So anyway, having been here, having covering the team, I had season tickets to Bush Stadium. I'm a baseball guy. I love baseball. And somewhere in the 90s, the Cubs were playing the cards. I'm sitting next to my wife, and I said, you know what? I'm rooting for the Cardinals. What is wrong with me? And, you know, over the period of time uh, uh, that I've been here and all my kids grew up as Cardinals fans because they grew up in St. Louis, I, I don't care about the Cubs now. It's the honest-to-God truth. I, I, I never thought it would happen to me. But it's been years and years now that I've been a Cardinals fan, and I am a diehard Cardinals fan. And when the Cubs did win the World Series, I was happy for the memory of my grandfather, who was a Cubs fan, and my father, who was a Cubs fan. Um, but it did, meant nothing to me. In fact, I felt like I, I was not happy about it at all. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I am a Cardinals fan, and you know, if, when the Cardinals win, I'm happy. And when they beat the Cubs, I'm happier. It's it's hard not to get swept up in everything Cardinals. This, you this, can tell, especially today, people are uh, pretty pretty loud online today. Listen, uh, I mean, I love watching a game from Wrigley Field. It's a great place, mm-hmm. a lot of nostalgia for me. This is the best baseball town in America. There is no question about it. I give a lot of credit to people like Jack Buck because very few places you can go where there's a man on second and a guy grounds out grounds out to second and moves the runner along where people in the stands will stand up and applaud because they know what they just did. He moved the runner along. Most places, they, 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 they don't know that that happened. They're, they're not that educated. But as a broadcaster, Jack Buck educated people. Uh, you know, writers like Rick Hummel educated people. Um, so, I, I mean, there's no question that uh, that this is the best baseball town in America, and I've been to been to most of them. And there's some other great baseball towns. Boston's a great baseball town, but this is the best. That's a good note to go out on. That'll do it for this episode of the Sports Plus Rewind. We're going to try and do these every other week, so come back in two weeks and we'll have another episode.